The Seventh Mansion, Chapter 1 of the Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle or the Mansions by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. You may think, sisters, that so much has been said of this spiritual journey that nothing remains to be added. That would be a great mistake. God's immensity has no limits, neither have his works. Therefore, who can recount his mercies and his greatness? It is impossible, so do not be amazed at what I write about them, which is but a cipher of what remains untold concerning God. He has shown great mercy in communicating these mysteries to one who could recount them to us. For as we learn more of his intercourse with creatures, we ought to praise him more fervently and to esteem more highly the soul in which he so delights. Each of us possesses a soul, but we do not realize its value as made in the image of God. Therefore, we fail to understand the important secrets it contains. May his majesty be pleased to guide my pen and to teach me to say somewhat of the much there is to tell of his revelations to the souls he leads into this mansion. I have begged him earnestly to help me, since he sees that my object is to reveal his mercies for the praise and glory of his name. I hope he will grant this favor, if not for my own sake, at least for yours, sisters, so that you may discover how vital it is for you to put no obstacle in the way of the spiritual marriage of the bridegroom with your soul which brings, as you will learn, such signal blessings with it. O great God, surely such a miserable creature as myself should tremble at the thought of speaking on such a subject so far beyond anything I deserve to understand. Indeed, I felt abashed and doubted whether it would not be better to finish writing about this mansion in a few words, lest people might imagine that I am recounting my personal experience. I was overwhelmed with shame, for, knowing what I am, it is a terrible undertaking. On the other hand, this fear seemed but a temptation and weakness. Even if I should be judged, so long as God is but a little better praised and known, let all the world revile me. Besides, I may be dead before this book is seen. May he, who lives and shall live to all eternity, be praised. Amen. When our Lord is pleased to take pity on the sufferings, both past and present, endured through her longing for him by the soul which he has spiritually taken for his bride, he, before consummating the celestial marriage, brings her into his mansion or presence chamber. This is the seventh mansion, for he has his dwelling place in heaven, so he has in the soul where none but he may abide, which may be termed a second heaven. It is important, sisters, that we should not fancy the soul to be in darkness. As we are accustomed to believe, there is no light but that which is exterior. We should imagine the soul is wrapped in obscurity. This is indeed the case with the soul out of the state of grace. Not, however, through any defer in the sun of justice, which remains within it, and gives it being. But the soul itself is incapable of receiving the light, 
as I think I said in speaking of the first mansion. A certain person was given to understand that such unfortunate souls are, as it were, imprisoned in a gloomy dungeon, chained hand and foot, and unable to perform any meritorious action. They are also both blind and dumb. While we may pity them, when we reflect that we ourselves were once in the same state, and that God may show them mercy also. Let us then, sisters, be zealous in interceding for them and never neglect it. To pray for a soul in mortal sin is far more profitable form of almsgiving than it would be to help a Christian whom we saw with hands strongly fettered behind his back, tied to a post, and dying of hunger. Not for want of food, because plenty of the choicest delicacies lay near him, but because he was unable to put them into his mouth. Although he was extremely exhausted and at the point of dying, and that not a temporal death, but an eternal one. Would it not be extremely cruel for us to stand looking at him and give him nothing to eat? What, if by your prayers you could lose his bonds? Now you understand. For the love of God, I implore you constantly to remember in your prayers souls in a like case. We are not speaking of them, but of others who, by the mercy of God, have done penance for their sins and are in a state of grace. You must not think of the soul as insignificant and petty, but as an interior world containing the number of beautiful mansions you have seen, as indeed it should, since in the center of the soul there is a mansion reserved for God himself. When his majesty deigns to bestow on the soul the grace of these divine nuptials, he brings it into his presence chamber, and does not treat it as before when he put it into a trance. I believe he then united it to himself, as also during the prayer of union. But then, only the superior part was affected, and the soul did not feel called to enter into its own center as it does in this mansion. Here, it matters little whether it is in the one way or the other. In the former favors, our Lord unites the spirit to himself, and it makes it both blind and dumb, like St. Paul after his conversion, thus preventing its knowing whence or how it enjoys this grace, for the supreme delight of the soul is to realize its nearness to God. During the actual moment of divine union, the soul feels nothing, all its powers being entirely lost. But now he acts differently. Our pitiful God removes the scales from its eyes, letting it see and understand somewhat of the grace received in a strange and wonderful manner in this mansion by means of an intellectual vision. By some mysterious manifestation of the truth, the three persons of the most blessed Trinity reveal themselves, preceded by an illumination which shines on the spirit like a most dazzling cloud of light. The three persons are distinct from one another. A sublime knowledge is infused into the soul, imbuing it with a certainty of the truth that the three are of one substance, power, and knowledge, and are one God. Thus, that which we hold as a doctrine of faith 
The soul now, so to speak, understands by sight, though it beholds the blessed trinity neither by the eyes of the body nor of the soul, this being no imaginary vision. All the three persons here communicate themselves to the soul, speak to it, and make it understand the words of our Lord in the gospel that he and the Father and the Holy Ghost will come and make their abode with the soul which loves him and keeps his commandments. Oh my God, how different from merely hearing and believing these words is to realize their truth in this way. Day by day, a growing astonishment takes possession of this soul, for the three persons of the Blessed Trinity seem never to depart. It sees with certainty, in the way I have described, that they dwell far within its own center and depths, though for one of learning it cannot describe how, it is conscious of the indwelling of these divine companions. You may fancy that such a person is beside herself and that her mind is too inebriated to care for anything else. On the contrary, she is far more active than before in all that concerns God's service. And when at leisure, she enjoys this blessed companionship. Unless she first deserts God, I believe he will never cease to make her clearly sensible of his presence. She feels confident, as indeed she may, that he will never so fail her as to allow her to lose this favor after once bestowing it. At the same time, she is more careful than before to avoid offending him in any way. This presence is not always so entirely realized, that is, so distinctly manifest, as at first, or as it is at times when God renews this favor, Otherwise, the recipient could not possibly attend to anything else nor live in society. Although not always seen by so clear a light, whenever she reflects on it, she feels the companionship of the Blessed Trinity. This is as if when we were with other people in a very well-lighted room, someone were to darken it by closing the shutters. We should feel certain that others were still there, though we were unable to see them. You may ask, could she not bring back the light and see them again? This is not in her power. When our Lord chooses, he will open the shutters of the understanding. He shows her great mercy in never quitting her, and in making her realize it so clearly. His divine majesty seems to be preparing his bride for greater things by this divine companionship which clearly helps perfection in every way and makes her lose the fear she sometimes felt when other graces were granted her. A certain person so favored found she had improved in all virtues, whatever her trials or labors. The center of her soul seemed never moved from its resting place. Thus, in a manner, her soul appeared divided. A short time after God had done her this favor, while undergoing great sufferings, she complained of her soul, as Martha did of Mary, reproaching it with enjoying solitary peace, while leaving her so full of troubles and occupations that she could not keep it company. This may seem extravagant to you, daughters, 
Yet, though the soul is known to be undivided, it is fact and no fancy, and often happens. Interior effects show for certain that there is positive difference between the soul and the spirit, although they are one with each other. There is an extremely subtle distinction between them, so that sometimes they seem to be at a different manner from one another, as does the knowledge given to them by God. It also appears to me that the soul and its faculties are not identical. There are so many and such transcendental mysteries within us that it would be presumption for me to attempt to explain them. If by God's mercy we enter heaven, we shall understand these secrets.